Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and our guests here on Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, now more than ever in this turbulent time, it's important to share and spread our message of freedom and fulfillment around the globe. So if you get value from this podcast, I have a favor to ask. If you could go wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a positive rating and review, that helps us carry our message further around the globe. And if you wouldn't mind, Post a link to this podcast on your Facebook page. Share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, wherever you're at on social media. I want to thank you for helping us take our message to those people around the globe who truly need it. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you. Ask yourself, how many of you have been begging, man, I wish I had a a little bit of time to go do X, Y, and Z. I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I had more time to talk to this person, yada, yada, yada. Well, guess what? A lot of you right now have that time. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. And we are live. My name is Kurt Mercadante. This is the Freedom Media Network. It is no secret we are in a turbulent time, economically, fear-wise, you name it. So how can we actually find the gift in this adversity? That's what we're going to discuss in today's episode with our guest, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. I've gotten to know Marcus over the past several years. He was a speaker at uh, our Freedom Club Festival last year. You were my very first guest on uh, my podcast, gosh, back uh, two or three Januaries ago. Marcus, I want to thank you for hopping on the show today. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for letting me be a part of all this from your first guest to being able to speak at your incredible event. It was uh, truly an honor to be able to go up there and uh, you let me be the last speaker. So I got to have the last word and that's uh, the biggest compliment you can give somebody. Yeah. And, and the impact that people felt, I know from the feedback I got was immense. Um, I know someone who was a client of mine who said that he had been struggling on his vision for months and it became crystal clear during your talk. And uh, so thank you for having that impact, not only there, but everything you do is as a brief intro and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this today. Just to let you know, in terms of, you know, uh, Marcus is not just someone who willy-nilly says, I'm going to talk about adversity. Marcus has faced adversity. He's got a wonderful book, The Gift of Adversity. We'll put links where you can find all the, the books. It's, not, it's available on Amazon. Um, and it's about Marcus's story of, well, Marcus, tell us your story of adversity to set the stage and the foundation so that when people hear you talk about adversity, you know, in this day and age, it's easy to question people's motives, right? That's the first thing we do. Well, what does he know about it? He's just privileged. He's just, tell us a little bit about your foundation of adversity and where you learned to find that gift. Absolutely. And it, it kind of comes from a statement that you, that really resonated with you when we were speaking before, which is, first of all, that adversity is universal, uh, universally we're all feeling it right now in some way, shape, or form. So while it's universal, it's unique to each of us. Therefore, we have to understand that adversity is not a competition. Mm-hmm. It's not something where somebody has it worse or, oh, yeah, well, I have it worse than you do. But to give a little bit of background as to why I, I feel that way, um, I studied martial arts since I was a child. And so those philosophies really were resonating in my mind. In 2012, when I was preparing to deploy with the infantry, I suffered a severe spinal injury that left me paralyzed from the neck down. 
and I had joined the, the military at 38. So at 40 years old, when most people are looking back on their lives and looking at their, their home, their 401k, their, their beautiful family, I'm stuck in a bed, broke, divorced, and trying to figure out what do I do now? What am I going to do with my life? I have committed everything to this ideal. And now that's been pulled out from underneath me. What am I going to do with this, this hardship that I'm facing? And it took me through a roller coaster of depression, suicidal depression. But for me, I couldn't even act on that because of my physicality. Hmm. So it took me through a very dark place. It, it made me force me to look at these hardships. And for all of us, adversity, we want, if, as humans, once we face something difficult, we want to put as much distance between us and the hardship as we can. But for me, when I suffered the injury, I had to lie there months on end with it, looking at it, becoming familiar with it and becoming not comfortable with it, but at least to the point where I understand that this is inevitable. This is not something that I can just put my, my fingers on my ears and hope will go away. So that's why I, I look at things the way I do. And that's why what's going on today, um, uh, I'm not... I'm not panicked by it, not in a way like, oh, well, I've been through harder things. No, that's not what it is. But adversity is something that we cannot avoid. And the, the faster that we understand that, the, the faster we can start making the right decisions and be logical about what to do next. Yeah, no, th and thanks for sharing that story. I, I, I do also want to thank everyone on Facebook, uh, YouTube. Twitter, LinkedIn, who are joining us. If you have questions for, for us as we go along, questions, comments, agreements, please jump in. Let us know your city, your state, your town, your continent, especially right now. It's wonderful to see the global community coming together. So please give a shout out. Click the like button. If you know that there are people within your network, and I know there are, who will benefit from the message being shared today, just clicking the like button, the share button's even better, helps to spread that message across. So welcome. I know here on LinkedIn, I'm going to give a shout out to Lamar. Good morning. And Matt, good morning. And as people join us, please jump in. Let us know your name, your city, your state, your town, and any questions for us. Now, Marcus, during that year, as you were sitting there, uh, physically incapable of moving your limbs and fingers and, and, and things like that, it, it, it's certainly, I mean, it's human nature, right? To go to the worst, to, to go to the very worst thoughts. Um, and, you know, I found myself walking down the street yesterday uh, with my kids. Don't worry, we weren't licking mailboxes. I wasn't going and hugging seniors. So everyone, you know, calm down. But we're walking down the street and it was kind of, it was a dreary day yesterday. And I just started thinking, you know, my, my daughter, her birthday is coming up next week. My son's birthday is the week after. We had big plans. We were supposed to travel. We were supposed to go to Legoland. It's all canceled. And, you know, my mind immediately went to, oh, my gosh, you know, it's a perfect day. I, I would love to be able to go to the beach tomorrow. All these things, all the thoughts about what we can't do, what we can't do, all the canceled plans, you know, went right through my head. Um, now, for me, it was easy to then focus on the fact that I was walking with my son at that moment, to focus on that specific moment in time, to be grateful for that rather than what happened the day before what happened uh, next week. That's easier said than done. And for me to be able to do that has taken years of practice. 
how in the midst of it, you hadn't yet necessarily had <laughs> the, the, the mindset training and where you're at now to deal with that in the midst of it. If you haven't girded your loins for it, what do you tell people? What do you tell your clients and what can you tell people listening on, on how to do that and find, uh, well, the gift in adversity, but focusing on the present moment rather than I had to cancel this plan. I don't have a speaking engagement. It's canceled. I lost this money, et cetera. Yeah, those are, those are great questions. And it's, it's important. You alluded to it earlier. If I focus on the things that I cannot do, I'm literally reinforcing my own disempowerment. Hmm. Uh, if you fast, uh, for example, when I, whenever I fast for days at a time, I don't say I can't eat. I say I'm choosing not to eat because I want to work on my discipline. Now, for those of you that think that that's extreme, that's fine. But here's what I would like to tell you. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, you have a choice. Hmm. You have something that you can be in control of. Now, I didn't feel that way again for months lying in the bed, unable to move. I was angry. I was livid. And then I eventually realized I can either stay angry for the rest of my life and be miserable to be around by everybody that tries to help me. Or I can change my mentality about my injury, which is difficult to, to do. So I just came back and I said, what can I control? And in martial arts, they always say you can control your, your thought patterns. But even at that point, when you're that angry and you feel like you were just, you've just been slapped by the universe, it's hard to do that. But the one thing that you can always do is you can step back, take a deep breath. And not to get into a science, you know, discussion, but there are two different, two different nervous systems in your body. There's the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, or freeze nervous system that people talk about. And then there's the parasympathetic, which is the more relaxing one. And if you take a deep breath, it forces you to really engage in that parasympathetic nervous system. And it flips on that switch. It's a biohack if you want to think of it like that. But if you've ever seen a person that's been scared or an animal that's been afraid, they have this very shallow vertical breathing. Yeah, It's like they're just kind of gulping because they're in fear. But if you can take 10 deep breaths, it re literally reinforces that idea into your body. And that allows you that opportunity to get past that cloud of adversity and actually start looking at what's going on. Hmm. Before we hit record, that's, that's what I was talking about. Emotions assassinate the truth. Hmm. And right now, if people allow emotion to dictate their behavior, there is never a decision you've ever made in your life that has been the best decision that you've made whenever you're under duress. Right. Right. And so think about that right now. This is a huge moment of duress for everyone. So if you're watching the news, uh, I'm not telling you to put your head in the, in the sand, but I am telling you how much, how many times do you need to listen to what people are saying? How often do you need to check on social media about what's going on? If you have a person who's, who's putting stuff out there that you just don't like to, to hear, meet that person, block that person, unfollow that person. If you're, if you're watching the news all the time, again, what are you doing? You're feeding that fear. Fear is a very real thing and we have to acknowledge it because that's what's kept our species alive for, for centuries. However, eventually you get to a point where if you feed fear, that's all that you're going to have. But if you choose to feed something else, if you choose to, choose to feed optimism or just understand what can I do in this moment, I'm going to take some deep breaths. I'm going to clear my mind and figure out what I can control and what I cannot control. And frankly, it's like worrying about the rain. I can't control the rain. I cannot. 
but I can control how I react to it. I can control how I prepare for it and I can make the best of the situation if I have to go out into the elements. It's interesting. Since uh, October, well, September, October, I've been doing the Wim Hof uh, method, mm-hmm. breathing and cold showers. Yes. Now, the um, it's amazing at how I can, the, the cold shower and how I approach that shower dictates how I'm doing that day. Um, if I'm a, if I'm able, and, and, and what people don't understand is, yeah, at first that cold shower, it's going, when I say at first for the first couple of weeks, right. Depending the cold shower hits. And what happens is exactly what you said, <laughs> you know, that, that breathing, that sharp breathing and you lose control. And it's, Oh my God, it's cold and I can't do it. And then you get the chill and then you lose control. What you learn to do over time is to slow your breathing and almost absorb the energy of the water. And for me, I begin imagining, I imagine a ball of fire in my stomach. That is my energy. And it's amazing how the water becomes warmer to me. Or if not warmer, it's still cold. I'm just thinking about it in a different way. And like you said, with the rain, it's how you react to it. And all of us, when we hear rain, or what's our most of us, our first reaction is, oh my gosh, and you put the thing over. And, uh, what happens if you just... Now, okay, if you're wearing an expensive suit, something like that, I get it. But if you're just walking, what's the worst that's going to happen? Are you going to melt like the Wicked Witch? Are you going to, you know, and and one question is a question I have for you. So when you, on this note, when you talk about the nervous system and 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 your breaths, the you know cortisol, the the fight or flight uh, hormone that you talked about is wonderful, right? You go to the edge of a cliff fires through your body, it can save you. Um, but you know, you're, 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 you're going to run a hundred meter dash. You're in the blocks. Cortisol is ready to go. It's like a spring, right? The gun goes off, you go it. But what happens if the gun never goes off and you're in the blocks with cortisol coasting through your brains for, for a day that wears you out as a, as a martial artist, and I've done sparring. I'm not very good at boxing, but whatever. I've done sparring. And it's interesting that you think, and before you get in the ring, you think, oh, this is gonna, this is what I'm gonna do. He's gonna throw punches. Oh, I'm gonna do this. When the ring, when the bell goes off, cortisol goes up and you revert to your subconscious programming. And when that happens, you're literally dumber, right? Because you're not your conscious is creative thinking of that punch is coming at me. I'm going to slowly move to the side. Ain't none of that. Everything speeds up for now. You shared one, one, a bit, one way to, to, to use your breath to bring it down. Sometimes things are coming at you pretty quickly. You know, if you're, if you're in the ring or someone's coming at you with some kicks or some punches, you don't have time to say time out. I got to take a breath. When things are coming at you so quickly, now, one answer is train yourself over time. You know, find that time every day to train yourself to do that. Short of that, especially in this type of thing, the punches are coming at you. What can you do to, to kind of short circuit the training process and the breath process to make that happen? Or is it, if you haven't programmed yourself, <laughs> you're out of luck? It's, it's a good question. The reality is most people that are fearful right now, they're not really scared. They're just ill, they're ill, they're, they're not prepared is what it is. Yeah. So like you say, if you know that you're getting into the ring and you know, somebody else is training to get in the ring, to knock your head off, there's no better motivation in the world than to understand that if I don't do my road work, or if I don't work on my, my head movement, I'm going to get knocked out and get hurt. 
But again, like you say, a lot of people don't see these things coming. This is why I've always, you know, sort of preached the gospel of finding micro adversities every day, like what you're talking about, cold showers, Tabata training, uh, diet, exercise, um, giving yourself these things that force you to open into another area. So it's very difficult. And that's why a lot of people right now, when I said fight, flight, or freeze, people don't think about the freeze component. But if you back, if you talk to anybody that's ever been in like an altercation, uh, people that have been like physically or sexually assaulted, a lot of them will freeze. And that's what people are doing now. They're freezing. So the definition of anxiety is choosing not to choose. And so like what you were saying about cortisol and about adrenaline, our society today does not know the difference between a true threat and a perceived threat. They don't know the difference between a person who's mad at you or gives you the stink eye at the store compared to a person who really is coming at you with something difficult. And with between the, the training in the martial arts, between the training in the military, I'm literally used to a knife coming at my throat or somebody trying to wrap their arm around and choke me or punch me or kick me or multiple opponents to come at me continually. So I have that martial mentality. The mentality that you have to apply to this right now is to understand that one, the world will not stop revolving. I'm not trying to belittle anybody's fear, but what I am trying to say is, listen, you have to decide, are you going to stay in the fear loop? Or are you going to say, listen, because there's five stages of, of, you know, accepting these things. There's the first part, which is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. The sooner you can get to the idea that this is actually happening and that you are, you, you do feel like there's this flurry of punches coming at you. Don't try to deny it. If you stay in that denial place, you'll be frozen and you will not be able to act. So take action in some way, shape or form. It may not be the best action, but it may be that you want to get from here to here. And you have to take these small actions leading up to that. So make a decision. If you feel like you don't have what you need at home, try to go find water, try to go find a couple of a week's worth of supplies. If you don't have that, reach out to people that may. And that's why it's so important for us. Adversity, if we look at it properly, will bind us, will strengthen us. That's why when you have teams in the military, teams in fire departments, police departments, that's what makes people stronger. So if you are in a position where you can help people, this is what you should be doing. You should be reaching out, checking on your friend, checking on your family, checking on that person down the, down the road. Like you were saying, checking, checking down on people that may be afraid to go to the store. Yeah. And use that opportunity now to help people because frankly, if you've ever been through adversity, like real adversity in your life, if you learn the lesson, your empathy will grow immensely because if you've ever fallen down and needed somebody to help you and somebody reached out and, and gave you that hand, you will never forget who that person was. You will never forget how good you felt having that. So now it's up to us to continue to do that, especially in times like this. That's excellent. And I, and I also love your, um, to, to help us condition to that along the way, because like we were talking about before we started recording, I mean, uh, I think it was before we were recording, you know, that these types of crises happen every decade or so. And in our careers, 9-11, you know, 2001, 
the crash, not quite 10 years later, but same thing, right? Every, every decade or so. And, and while they're different and you look before that, I mean, uh, a lot of people don't realize, it, you know, the seventies was a very trying time. I mean, incredible double digit inflation, gas lines. You look back at uh, 1968, the Hong Kong flu, 1918, the Spanish flu. Um, obviously the great depression. I grew up with my father telling me stories about the great depression, which leads me to, to, I do have a fear of, of what the economic impacts are. You're, I, I, I've been dying to ask you this for a while. Um, I, in December, I've always been a fan of Marcus Aurelius and meditations and Epictetus and, and Stoicism. I began in December reading the Tao. Mm. And it's very interesting, the similarities. Well, it's interesting, the similarities between a lot of ancient texts, right? Stoicism, the Tao, the, uh, the Gita. Uh, and, and in fact, if you change the way you look at it, the Bible in many cases and, and, and change the way you come at it. But one of the pieces in Stoicism certainly is guarding your mind. Exactly what you're talking about. And the choice we have to guard our mind and that situations are dictated. Certainly, is it happening to you? You talked about the rain. Is it the rain or is it your perception of the rain that is driving your fear or how you react to it? The Tao talks a lot about what Bruce Lee talked about, which is flowing like water. When water comes up to a rock, over time it will wear the rock down, but truly it goes around the rock, it goes over the rock, it flows in the rock and the importance of being like water. Are those two opposed pieces? Or are they the same? The, 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 the lessons in stoicism of guard your mind, your perceptions, and the Tao, which is flow like water, uh, or, are they, or are they, where's the similarities and where's the differences there? The, the answer is yes. If you look at similarities between Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Taoism, Stoicism, Christianity, the you know Quran anything like that if it is a universal principle that is a truth you will find it overlaying and overlapping in every arena and philosophy religion all those things are simply a name given to a specific time frame and a specific region in their interpretation of truth hmm. so the stoics called it something in greece these people called this these people call it this but in the end like you said they all overlap and that's the idea and that's what i try to focus on as you were mentioning, I tried to read Marcus Aurelius meditations when I was 12 hmm. and it went over my head. But when I was at the store, I actually went back to try to find a second book. I couldn't, but I found a book that had this incredible Chinese character on it, which reminded me of the characters that I saw in my martial art class, which was the Tao Te Ching, as you're alluding to, which is the second most written, second most read book next to the Bible. And for me, it was the same way. I opened it up and the first chapter that I saw was an for those that don't know, it's only about 83 pages and they're just one page. And it's essentially like a, a Zen koan or it's an idea. And the one that I opened up, to, the first words I read were, if you continue to sharpen your knife, it will go blunt. Hmm. And that made a lot of sense to me. So even though the stoicism with the, the, that with how doth blah, 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 it felt like I was reading an old school Bible. This idea, this simplicity of the Taoism helped me because that was my gateway drug to actually understand the other philosophies, not just that, but the philosophy in Christianity, the philosophy and all these other ideals. So you are correct. 
here's what happens. A lot of people, they confuse what they're actually able to control and what they are not. They forget, they get confused about what they're responsible for and what they are not. So in the heat of battle, like you say, all of once the cortisol and the adrenaline dumps into our body, all of our, our motor skill goes away. All of our higher thinking goes away. And we go back to that reptilian, let me just survive this altercation ideal. So if you're in a situation that you cannot control at all, this is when you can default to this Taoist stoic idea that if it is endurable, I shall endure it. To understand that my only desire is no desire in this moment, just to be able to get through to the next thing, this too shall pass, whatever you know, semantics you want to use. But a lot of people do that as a way to disempower themselves. A lot of people don't realize that even within that decision, even, with, even though it may not be the decision that they want, they still have to make a decision. So again, if they don't make a decision, that's the definition of anxiety, and they stay in that place. And as you were saying, having cortisol and having adrenaline in your body, hypersensitive, a, a huge amount of it for 24 hours is bad. But if you have a person who's been doing that their entire life, and all of a sudden they're type 2 diabetic and they're hypertension, and now all of a sudden they have these, all these other things that attach to that, you have to understand these are ideas that we, we, we grasp at in, in the heat of adversity to push us yeah. forward. And outside of that, that's when we should be learning the lesson because the way that you handle yourself in the heat of adversity dictates how you will do everything else in your life. So if you can maintain that calm, that means in the heat of adversity, that means you can maintain that calm when things are well, when things are good, when you're making money, when everybody's happy and healthy. But if you're not able to actually maintain that sort of structural integrity, that mental resolve, then it indicates that there are other areas that you probably are blind to. And frankly, if you have to go back into battle and you haven't patched up those, those holes, you will absolutely sink when, when you're actually needing to, to rise to the occasion. And, and there's a difference between, you know, sharpening your knife constantly and making it go blunt. You know, for those listening, Marcus, you've talked about micro adversities in your day to train you for that time when the crisis happens, maybe, which is now is a good time, right? Um, that's different. That's not sharpening your knife though. I mean, it's sharpening your knife, but as needed. Correct. There's a different, you're not wearing yourself down by constantly every day, but it's just like any physical training, right? There's training and there's overtraining. That's exactly it. And what I'm trying to do is like you're saying, I'm keeping the knife sharp or if nothing else, I'm stopping rust from forming on the blade. Hmm. Interesting. And that's, and that's the idea. So like you're saying, everything that I'm doing, whether it be again, difficulty in, in cardiovascular stuff, sparring, food, um, any kind of deprivation deprivation is what creates appreciation. Hmm. So people right now, if you're deprived of triple ply toilet paper, guess what? You're really going to appreciate what it, whenever all this is over <laughs> and you get to have that luxury again. Right. If, but that's, that's the idea. And there is a place where we overtrain. There's a place where we overstimulate. So again, keep an eye on the news, maybe check it in the morning, check it in the evening, and then just take your eyes off of that and focus on what's really important. Focus on what you can control. And how many of you, I mean, ask yourself, how many of you have been begging, man, I wish I had a, a little bit of time to go do X, Y, and Z. I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I had more time to talk to this person, yada, yada, yada. Well, guess what? A lot of you right now have that time. 
If you got that big stack of books, guess what? You're out of excuses. Start reading. If you bought an online course that you just click through the first couple of lessons, get on it. This, you've been asking for this. If you wanted yeah. to do spring cleaning, you've got time. If you want to have that conversation with somebody, or frankly, if you don't want to have a conversation with that somebody, that adversity is your opportunity to figure out what are we even mad at each other about? What is this going? How long has this been going on? Why is this festering? Pull out the thorn and get to what's going on because this is your opportunity. And we don't know when you're going to have an opportunity to do this again. So act now, take, take the time that you can and make the most of this because frankly, worrying is not going to change anything. It's not going to help. If anything is going to impede your progress and it's going to blind you to the opportunities that are right in front of your face right now. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante and I want to thank you for being a loyal listener to Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, in this chaotic time of coronavirus chaos, it's so important for people to have a process to define, create, and live their lives of freedom and fulfillment. I lay out just that process in my Amazon bestseller, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And in light of this turbulent time, I've dropped the Kindle price of my book to $4.50. That's a more than $2 drop in price. I do this because I truly believe that this is a process that will help those who need freedom and fulfillment now. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you have spent the past five years, 10 years, 15 years trading away your freedom and fulfillment for a false sense of security and a toxic job and a lifestyle that doesn't fulfill you. And now you're realizing that security was an illusion and you want your freedom now. Go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com right now. There, you can get chapter one of my book absolutely free, and there's a link to purchase the book. As I said, we have dropped the price to $4.50 for the Kindle version of my book. I know the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle will help you define, create, and start living your freedom lifestyle now. Thanks again for being a listener. I wish you a day, a week, a year of freedom and abundance. You talk about, we talked about cortisol. We talked about health. We talked about, um, well, we we certainly talked, you mentioned uh, spinal injuries, which you had. In this era of of coronavirus, um, there are certainly uh, physical fears. Am I going to get it? Do I get it? Who gets it? It's people with underlying health conditions. We've talked about stress and that cortisol in the realm of, of uh, mindset and focusing on your business, relationships, helping you move in that regard. But it is also a health hazard as well, right? From, from an immunity hazard, but also on the ability to heal. And as someone who's gone through a healing process, a natural healing process... Um, can you share some insights on the, the impact of mindset on your physical, your ability to self-heal, not just yours, but humanity's ability to self-heal. Absolutely. And, um, I was in chiropractic schools, chiropractic school at life university in Atlanta, Georgia, before I joined the military. Um, so this is very much in, um, something that, that makes sense to me. And actually Dr. Joe Dispenza was teaching down there at that time. Wow. So if you, if you ever listen to what he's talking about now, again, about fear compromising the immune system, 
you have to understand that right now, everybody that's listening to us, if you're within the sound of my voice, you have some cancer in your body. Now it doesn't mean that you have cancer, but what stops that from growing beyond control is your immune system. And so again, all these levels of cortisol, these hormone releases, these things are all that sort of balanced. And as human beings, we want to be in homeostasis as much as we can. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about that, having this idea of an elevated emotion with a specific intention that allows you to get to these places. So for me, whenever I was injured and I was very angry, of course, imagine all the hormones that are dumping into my body that are just corrosive and making it impossible for me to recover, making it impossible for me to be appreciate anybody around me. For me, after three months, I finally realized that I have to do something to counteract all this anger and hate. And for most people, that's love. But frankly, I was, I was really isolated at that point. So for me, the opposite of, of hate wasn't love. It was something that was rooted in love. And that's gratitude. And I don't mean that BS gratitude that people are pushing. I don't mean that stuff where people have a little journal and they write down three things that they like that day. Because what happens is it's very easy to be grateful for your life when everything is going well when you're making plenty of money and nobody's sick and all the stores are open and you have all the toilet paper that you want, of course, it's easy to be philosophical about somebody else's headache. Hmm. But when you're in the heat of it and it's happening to you, that's when you have to ask yourself, what is the opportunity? What is the beauty? What can I be grateful for in this, in this situation? And for a guy that's paralyzed from the neck down, lying in a bed, I couldn't think of much. But what I eventually found was in Zen, they talk about taking yourself out of the equation. It's not about you. It's not about me or my desire or my ego. I realized that if I had been deployed, because we were preparing to deploy in Afghanistan, if we'd have been in the, the mountains of Afghanistan when I suffered that injury, I would have put my team in danger because for every one man that is injured, it takes two men to pull him to safety. So my team would have been compromised. My squad would have had to come down and cover down. Another squad would have had to come down. A Chinook helicopter would have had to fly into a hot zone to come get me. There were 50 other people whose lives would have been put in harm's way had I suffered that injury in Afghanistan. And after that, it was like this huge epiphany. And I was able to just say, wow, I'm lucky. So even though I'm in a bed and I can't move, I realized I'm glad nobody else got hurt. I'm glad nobody else was injured because of me. So in this situation for everybody right now, if you're thinking, oh, well, I really don't care if I go out and do stuff, I'm healthy. No, it's not about you. It's about the effect that you can have on other people. You may not get sick, but you may make other people sick. You may not really care about what's going on because you think you're strong, but guess what? You may bring it back to somebody you love. You may be saving somebody else's life that you will never meet simply by taking a little bit of valor, by having a little bit of, of self-discipline and saying, you know what? I know that this is uncomfortable right now because what most people are going through, most people associate discomfort with pain, and there's a big difference. If I'm sitting in this chair and I have my feet crossed a certain way, I'm uncomfortable, but it's not painful. What we're going through right now is an opportunity to figure out where's your pain threshold? What should you be learning from this? And what steps can you take after this to help better prepare for something like this later? Because again, I've had people before big things happen. They were like, well, microversities are fine, but there's nothing really big going on in my life right now. That's a form of adversity. But the reality is, if you're not pushing yourself in some way, shape or form, if you're not the one that dictates what that adversity is and you inflict it on yourself to get stronger in a way to help other people, then whenever real adversity rears its ugly head, you are ill-prepared. And that's what a lot of people are dealing with right now. 
One, one thing, um, and, and maybe this is a, like a personal therapy session, <laughs> but no, but I, but I think a lot of people, uh, I think a lot of people struggle with it because, you know, when I coach folks on gratitude, sometimes it's hard to explain and really understand true gratitude, deep down gratitude versus, oh, uh, I heard a bird chirping this morning, which by the way, can be deep gratitude. I guess it, it, it depends on what, on, on what you're going through, but truly understanding that as you go through and, and keeping in mind our earlier discussion about the Tao and Buddhism in terms of of, um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh. I've been listening to him and I probably just butchered his name as I butcher everyone's name, but he talks about not forcing anything and letting it happen. And sometimes as I do the Wim Hof breathing, I was forcing it. Well, it's not exactly right. And I would get frustrated and not detached and I would get angry and then I would ruin it. Sometimes I find myself and I know others find themselves writing down gratitude. And, and gratitude journaling is good if you're doing it the right way. But at what point do you step back from something? So if you're writing a daily gratitude journal and you find yourself forcing it, right? And you find, is it better to step away or to force yourself to do that exercise? Where's the fine line between force uh, to, to force yourself into a, a micro adversity and flowing like water? Because a lot of times it's easy to say you're flowing like water and really what it is, is rationalizing laziness. <laughs> That's exactly it. And the, the, the real answer is it's very difficult to know, which is why we have coaches, which is why we have Sifu's, Guru's, teachers that will give us that objectivity when we need it. However, self-awareness is the key. So it, it, again, it depends. What we have to understand is that there will absolutely be a time to turn the other cheek. And there's absolutely a time to hit back twice. So where within that lies that yin yang, that ideal, that there's no real balance in life that simply blend is whatever the reality is. So right now you're not really balancing things. Um, if we're in this, this state of adversity that we are in to, to answer the question though, we, if you're doing gratitude and you're writing it down, but you're not believing it, mm-hmm. what I see a lot of people doing with, with gratitude. Okay is they, they say, Oh, I'm grateful. But what they do is they just sit on their hands and they sit there and they just let all the world go around them. They let things happen to them. They have no boundaries. They don't reinforce boundaries with people. They get stepped on emotionally. And when that happens is they're really just glorifying their victim mentality. Hmm. They're justifying this I'm just going to sit here and wait for it to happen. I'm just going to wait for that to happen. And the problem is that becomes perpetuated every time you do it. So now these are the people that become offended by everything. These are the people who cannot wait to hear what somebody has to say. If they have an opposing view to be able to say how that offended me, I'm offended by that. I feel like a victim. I feel like you don't respect me. No, I'm just telling you my experience. You can or cannot agree with that. That's fine. If I tell you that adversity is a gift and you don't get it, that's a self-selecting phrase. Either yeah. you get it because you've been through something or you will get it in a few years or you're on the other side. You're like, well, how can you possibly say that? Clearly you haven't been through anything. Why would you say something like that? That's a person who is going through something, a person that is in pain, a person who has never actually done that work. So there will be a time when you absolutely have to flow like water because you may not have any other choice. And there will be a time when you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, you know what? 
I'm not sure what I can do, but I'm going to do everything that I can. Again, meditation is a practice. Martial arts are a practice. Gratitude is a practice. And I will give everybody that's listening to me right now a practice in gratitude, but it's going to be a little different. At night, right before you get done, if you're journaling, brushing your teeth, however you want to think about it, I want you to think about something that really pissed you off that day. Hmm. Like made you mad, really mad. But I want you to think of it now from this space, from this distance, now that you're away from it. And now can you look at it and say, man, that guy that cut me off in traffic wasn't really that big of a deal. Did you want to tailgate him? Did you want to follow him? Did you want to go out and give him a piece of your mind? What's that going to do? What's that going to change? Who's that going to help? And then again, we are all going through battles. We are all going through our, our own form of adversity, not only just in this time, but you know, in everyday life after this. So that person may have just lost their job. They may have a sick spouse or a sick child. Maybe they need to get in front of you to go do something, or maybe they're just selfish. Either way, those are things that I cannot control. What can I can control? Me, my mentality about it. So if something angers you, it's doing that because it wants to get your attention so that you do not forget the lesson. Pain and discomfort are the best teachers, and that's why, because it's almost like you're getting slapped in the face, and it's like, do I have your attention now? Are you, okay, Yeah. here it is. So if something angers you during the day, reflect back on it in the evening, maybe it's not so bad, and maybe that will give you that space necessary. Again, emotion necessity is the truth, but when we take emotion away from it, it allows us to have that true objectivity. And, and a lot of people think the the, the removing emotion you know, I grew up in an Italian family, a lot of yelling in, in, out of love. And so my default is yell. And I've been working on that, right? And uh, great book. Um, and now I'm going to completely forget the name of it. You probably know what it is. Uh, gosh, it, 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 I'll think of it in a second. I, I can't believe I'm forgetting the book. It's one of my favorite books ever. It had a huge impact on me. Anyways, uh, thick... Uh, Thick face, black heart, black heart. Yes. Chin and chin and chew. Beautiful. And, and one of the pieces that I remembered that actually led me to start reading the Tao was the discussion of yielding yeah. and the importance of yielding. And you mentioned it earlier in terms of know when to, and she talks about this specifically, know that when to turn the other cheek and know when to, and sometimes it, it, I guess you have to train yourself to know the difference, right? Because there's a difference between yielding and letting someone, as you said, walk all over you. And there's a time to fight back, right? And, and, and throw some punches. Knowing that is a difference. Now, on that note, there was something that you, you posted on Twitter. Uh, Bob Berg posted something else as well, and where you talked about the difference between truth-telling and being a dick. Right. I mean, I mean, and yeah. I walk that, I walk that line and I have to check myself often on it. And, um, and my wife is very good at, at, uh, at checking me on that. And, oh, yeah. and so where is that fine line? Because, you know, sometimes you want to take people and, and shake them and wake them. You know, that's kind of my style. I mean, you've seen me speak. It's more of a, a, a kind of a, you know, F bombs and whatever. It's just a different style. How do you know that fine line, that fine line? Uh, and I think it, it extends to knowing when to yield and knowing when to give it back to someone. Um, uh, I guess, does yeah. it depend? <laughs> it, it, it does depend. And, and here's the thing. It's like, 
if I stopped and threw a rock at every small dog that yapped at me, I would never get to where I need to go. Yeah. So it, it's not necessarily my job to try to help these people see where they're completely blind or to see where they're, they're, they're falling down or they're dropping the ball. But if it's somebody that I'm working with and they've come to me, we, you cannot help a person who does not want to be helped. So if I throw a life preserver out to somebody and they're in the ocean and they're in this horrible storm, and then they want to ask me about where it was made and if it's free range and what color is it and how do I feel about these things, that person probably doesn't want to be helped and I cannot help them. But I hope that they push it to somebody who does need it, somebody who's not going to question everything and just get out of that situation. But again, it depends on the person. Um, I talk about when I talk about leadership to companies or CEOs, I mentioned this uh, pragmatic empathy is what I call it. So Hmm. you have to be able to be a leader or a person that you're trying to help. You have to understand where the other person's coming from. But again, that doesn't mean that you allow your employees to walk all over you. So it's like different languages. In the military, their style of leadership is very iron fist. You get up and you do this. And if you don't, then there's going to be consequences. And you're probably not going to like them because you volunteer to be in the infantry. You volunteer to be a part of that. There's another side of it where the way that people lead is very laissez-faire, where it's like you have this person who's in command and they just say, okay, well, listen, uh, we need to have this done by Friday. It's Monday morning. Let's get after it. And then they just walk away. And then there's there are places that are in between. So if you want to be able to lead somebody, I have to have more than one leadership style. I can't just say, go get this done. Because if I have a team of 10 people, half of those people will really like that kind of straightforward, in-your-face, aggressive, let's get this done kind of attitude. The other five may not. So what have I done? Inadvertently, I have separated my tribe unnecessarily. And now they feel like it's us five against them. What I have to do is I have to be able to have pragmatic empathy to feel what that person's feeling, to understand where they're coming from and why they feel that way, and now how to address that, and now how to better communicate when I'm trying to get to them. So if these people like the very in-your-face kind of stuff, if I'm speaking to all of them, I'll talk about let's, let's rebel rouse, let's get them excited, let's get the motivation going, because that's what people a lot of people resonate with. But if I give the other people this understanding that I appreciate them, that what they're doing really matters, that they're helping people, that this is making an impact on their environment. And by making an impact on one person, you're literally impacting everyone around them and so on and so on. So you're making that, it's a wave effect, right? So if you can do that and you can understand it, that's why empathy is important. And that's why having different skill sets is important. And I I talk about this um, even during, at your event, I was doing some of that Wing Chun, some of Bruce Lee's Chi Kune Do martial art. It's about the ability to flow. Mm. But if I have a skill set and I'm doing one technique and all I do is that one technique, it's all I have is a hammer. So everything becomes a nail. But if I have other ideas, if I'm able to flow like water, now I can feel in the heat of it that this person isn't really listening to what I'm saying. I need to adapt. I need to circumvent this. I need to be like water and flow into those things. So I don't try to, if I'm, if it's a a fighting analogy, I don't win. I just allow my opponent to lose. And the reality is that yield is what builds strength. And that strength is what allows you the capacity to yield. And I don't want that to sound like a a fortune cookie, but that's the reality. The more that you look at this stuff and at the higher levels, whether it be a martial art or religion or philosophy at the highest levels, they are all saying the same thing. It's just a question of the language, the semantics and the timeframe. Before we get to our final question, Marcus, I want to, someone's listening and they're like, 
I got to hire Marcus. I got to hire Marcus. Well, maybe not right now to come into my company, but virtual training for my company right now. Um, I want Marcus as my mindset coach. Can you lay out the, the breadth of impact services that you offer and how people can work with you? Absolutely. They can go to my website, MarcusReallySanderson.com. Again, they can follow me. LinkedIn is, is where I really enjoy uh, talking to professionals. Connect to me, send me a, a message that you saw me here. This way I can really know that you were, you were wanting to do the work. But what I do is a lot of times I'll work with just CEOs of a company and then I'll eventually end up working with the rest of their C-suite executives. And then I'll eventually end up coaching their entire company and in this kind of idea, because what happens is you t- you coach the CEO, he loves what you're teaching him. And then he thinks that he can just kind of give that to his people. But frankly, he doesn't have the time, the time, the compunction or the skill set to do it because he has a lot more on his plate. So then being able to come in and work with them. And then again, being a speaker, a lot of companies will have me come in. They're like, listen, can you work with us for leadership in the morning? Can you do uh, you know, we have 500 employees. Can you come speak to them later? So now I'm able to make impact, not just from like a structural standpoint, not just from like a leadership standpoint, but then with the motor- motivational component. Um, I don't like the word motivational speaker because I feel that it's trite and uh, thin, but for centuries, if you're a good order, you can literally change history. So I want to be able to help people on every possible level, whether it be giving them a tactic, giving them an exercise, doing the work with them right there. When I do workshops, it's the same thing where you get people to really come together and they buy in on this. And I've literally had people that have told me that they've been married for years or they've been in a a business with somebody for years and doing that work gets them to understand and learn something about them that they never knew. And at those levels, especially if you're this seven or eight figure business, those small increments are huge over time. So that's what I do. Um, I don't have any online coaching at this moment, uh, not course wise, but I do coaching like this, obviously on zoom. And, and that's what I do. I want to give the people the capacity to understand how to leverage the adversities they're facing, how to find an advantage in it and how to not hesitate and know the difference between yielding and moving forward. And, and you mentioned, you know, that the word motivational speaker and, and a lot of people will see, you know, you talk a lot about mindset, mindsets on your, on your, your mindset coach, mindsets on your website, and they equate mindset with motivation. And, you know, I often think about, you know, the, the, the gyms being absolutely jam packed full in January because everyone's got that motivation and that cortisol is coached coasting through their veins because their conscious mind is like, go out there and do it. Yeah. But then what happens there? The gyms are empty now. By, well, now is a bad example. They're not yeah. allowed to be at the gyms, yeah. but in a normal world, uh, the gyms are empty now. And is it because that motivation is just trying to rely on that pure cortisol? Whereas micro adversities are, are a little bit more cold and heartless <laughs> in a good way, but it's more about process than motivation. That's exactly what it is. It's about, it's about, there's a difference between being interested and motivated. And then there's a difference between motivating and being committed. So again, these people, if motivation is, is transient, which it is, that's where you have to understand, but there are different motivations. There's a motivation to, to look good with your shirt off at the beach. And then there's this knowledge that, you know what, I've got a mortgage payment due. Hmm. I'm motivated to pay that. There is yeah. a big difference. And then the motivation of having purpose. So if we can attach meaning to the purpose, if we can attach emotion to the purpose, if we can attach understanding to what we're trying to get done, that will keep us going. 
there is will and there is motivation. And will is what keeps you going whenever your strength and motivation eludes you. So again, it's about having systems in place, having discipline. And discipline is nothing more than tough love that's being inflicted over and over again. So if you're a parent and you love your child, you don't just let them run free. You have to give them confines. You have to give them boundaries. And frankly, most of us, we don't do moderation well at all. (laughs) Right. We think that we do. And then we start kind of getting in that slippery slope. We start making these bargains with ourselves in our minds. Well, I won't go to the gym today, but tomorrow I'll do this. Or I'm going to eat this chocolate cake, but tomorrow I'm going to spend 45 minutes on the treadmill. The reality is it is better to resist the temptation of the snare than to struggle the noose once you're in it. Hmm. And that's what we have to do. That's where the motivation comes in. That's where, again, the, the discipline comes together. And if you can have these rituals set up, you no longer have to use that mindset there. You don't have to waste that mental energy deciding if you're going to do this or not. And then get into that dance in your mind, whether you're going to do it or not. I just say, I'm not tolerating this. I don't do this. And then you move forward. Before we get to the final question, I want to give a shout out to Mark. Mark's been commenting and asking questions, smiling Dutchie. I don't know if you know smiling Dutchie, Mark. Oh, yeah. He's my yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, he's, he's here. Uh, Carolina, uh, who is in, I, I believe, Miami in Florida. She's wonderful. She's here. She's joined a lot of these live discussions. We got Barbara Benner. Baker, thank you so much for joining us. Tony, uh, David Thompson, Matt, John, Scott, uh, David, Matt, Ivy, uh, Tony, thank you all for joining us today. And, and the final question I want to refer to, uh, a quote that I actually hadn't heard before, uh, but that you write in your book and I love it. And I, and I love kind of the Bruce Lee, you know, motivation, right. And, 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 and it, I guess it, it's only a cliche if you don't listen to it. Right. And don't, and don't adapt it, but it's, it's the Bruce Lee quote that I fear not the man, I'm going to butcher the quote, but I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Now, knowing that and keeping that in mind, people who are listening, who are beginners, who may, we've talked about a number of things and want to throw the kitchen sink at it like we do. We don't do moderation well. And I'm going to try 36 things right now and then clog the sink and then do nothing. Walking away today, what is that one kick that they can start practicing over and over and over again, starting today to help gird their mindset and begin to uh, find resilience in the face of this adversity? What I would say is for the next 24 hours, just check how many times you try to have a, um, a rational discussion with yourself to rationalize not doing what you should be doing. If you can hear me right now and I asked you, what should you be doing right now? And then if I asked you, what should you not be doing right now? You probably know what both of the answers to those questions are. So if you're in a situation where you know I should be doing X, Y, and Z and you're not, Find out and just mark down on a piece of paper how many times you say, well, I'm going to try to rationalize that or I'm going to try to make an excuse or I'm going to make a bargain with myself about when I'll do that and just do that. And then by the end of the day, look at how many times you've done it. And then after you've done that, realize how much time did you waste? How much energy did you waste? How much focus did you waste? It could be applied towards the things that frankly, you know, you're going to have to do anyway. In my TEDx talk, I say, the thing about adversity is by trying to avoid the struggle, 
you end up having to face the same adversity you would have initially, only you have to do it now when you're fatigued and tired from trying to escape. Mm -hmm. So understand that there are things you have to do. They may not be the things you want to do, but frankly, if you're trying, if you're trying to be an irresponsible human being or an adult, these are the things you have to do. And sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's something that you absolutely don't want to do, but understand why you're doing it, having the discipline to do it and not allowing yourself the opportunity to slide to say, I will not tolerate this. I don't tolerate this. Say that in your mind and then make that decision to move forward. And you'll be amazed that that will stop that loop. Yeah. Because if you don't, it will just continue to perpetuate. But if you see yourself in this thing and you're like, well, I'm going to, no, I don't tolerate that. That's your pattern to interrupt. And that's what makes you move forward to do the things that you should be doing. Well, Marcus Aurelius Anderson, I want to thank you for all your work in having an impact across the world. Everyone, the link to Marcus's book, The Gifted of Adversity, I put it in the comments. We'll put it in the notes, uh, wherever you're listening to this. We're also going to drop a link to Marcus's free Zoom call uh, being held tomorrow. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And again, I'm not selling anything on the call. I'm not pitching anything at all. I just want to give people information that they can use to get through these trying times. Thank you for having me today, Kurt. You bet. And I want to thank every single one of you for joining us today, whether you're joining us live or whether you're joining the archive version later today, tomorrow, whenever it is, please don't hesitate to jump in, ask your questions. Let us know, very importantly, where in the world you're joining us from. Please hit that like button. If you so choose, hit the share button, help spread our message of freedom and fulfillment. And Marcus, thank you so much for helping us find the gift in our adversity. 